The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Listen Okay, so that you know, uh-huh. I picked this song because I liked it, not because I had a lot of things to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's obviously one of those things where there are specific facts about it, but it's not like there is a whole bunch right, of stuff to say right, about it. Yeah, it's not. I mean, beautiful song, yes. Deep song, mm. as deep as any Matt Cameron penned lyrics can be. I mean, the lyrics that made the album are more deep than the lyrics that made the demo. There weren't any lyrics on that, were there? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Welcome to Season 7, Episode 8 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through every song in the Pearl Jam catalog. I am your host, Brandon Paloma. Each episode, I go track by track with a guest through every album, soundtrack, single, and B-side to discover why you simply can't find a better band. This is the Better Band Podcast. I am Brandon, and today we are talking about the Riot Act song, You Are, with guest friend of the show cousin of the show distantly related who knows i don't know maybe i like to think uh, of myself Kevin Lassard. Yeah. hi everybody i like to think of myself as the cousin who you know is a cousin but it's not so close that we could still get married the, co- the cousin oliver yeah yeah the, <laughs> added to the cast uh, in the later season to try to bump up ratings mm-hmm yeah, the Poochie. <laughs> I'm the Poochie of the show. Yes, there we go. The Poochie of the podcast. Yeah. How's it going, Kev? Good, good. I'm excited to talk about this track today. So a lot of the tracks that uh, I've covered with you were tracks that I picked because I thought they were interesting. I had a lot to say about them. This one I literally just picked because I liked. So I'm really stoked to to share my very, very few thoughts on you are. <laughs> So where before it was work, now, before it was business, and now it's pleasure. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Up till now, we've been in the front <laughs> half of the mullet, and now we've shifted to the back. <laughs> yes. Uh, Matt Cameron infamously wrote the music to this. Uh, he also plays a guitar on record because, uh, yeah. well, he, he came up with the riff and the effects and everything. Uh, he and Ed worked on the lyrics. Yep. I think he had most of the lyrics and then Ed kind of, uh, came in and said, uh, let me clean this up for you. Yeah. I found an, a promotional interview with, um, all the members of the band except Ed for Riot Act. And in that, Matt mentioned that he brought a song that he thought the lyrics were really straightforward and Ed helped him a lot to make it more poetic. Mm-hmm. So I, I assume, because that's this is the only song they collaborated on for lyrics, that this is the one they were talking about in that sense. Um, they first played it on December 5th, 2002 at the Showbox, the first of the two shows. Uh, and they also played it at the second show, which was the Showbox DVD, which is out there. Mm-hmm. People have talked about how it sounds similar to How Soon Is Now with the guitar effect, which is a Korg Electribe mm-hmm. ER1 rhythm synthesizer drum machine. Uh, you can feed in audio signals into it and it'll uh, it'll splice it up along with the drum rhythm that you program in there. So they did that with the guitar and that's how uh, this song comes out. Mm-hmm. 
they only did that with stone's channel so live only stone does that and then matt or mike's is just a kind of a fuzz distortion yeah so it's only it's only one channel of guitar that does the you're cutting out there i couldn't uh oh wait no that's how it goes Yeah, leave it to a drummer to use a, a drum machine uh, and run a guitar through it. <laughs> it's like everything has to be related to this drum somehow. Yeah. If, if you have the Pearl Jam Anthology tab book, it is the final song in it uh, because alphabetically, it, you know, comes at the end. Um, I've, I've always thought that the sound is similar. Uh, how, how I would make it if I were playing the song is to use a, a Zvex Sequa mm-hmm. effect clone or something like that to get that sort of effect in there is how i would do it right to get the choppy yeah yeah it's pretty pretty creative i feel like to have i mean i assume that matt was just playing with his drum machine his korg you know whatever drum machine podcast brought to you by korg um (laughs) no his that uh, he was just playing with his drum machine and i i don't want to say by accident but the assumption is that he was just kind of screwing around with his running his guitar through it was like oh this sounds cool and that's kind of the genesis of the song i would assume and based on because uh you sent me the the demo the ur demo that matt had had done up for this which sounds way different Emphasizes the effect a lot more, so I feel like mm-hmm. that was sort of the core of the song. That that it was this that he wanted to write a song that gets this kind of effect into it, and then and then built a song around that. Yeah, there's um, demos floating around for this album that Matt put up on MySpace of the songs that he wrote on it. Uh, this one in the moonlight and um, get right. And, and the demo for this song doesn't really sound like it at all. And you're kind of wondering, how the hell can they call it a demo for this song? And then you kind of, you hear the guitar effect and it sounds like it's sped up and you probably turn down the BPM for it. And it's kind of like, okay, I can kind of hear the parts for it or whatever, how it would be. Mm-hmm. Musically, I think this song is like super it's it's like one of those like oh yeah this is like metal for pearl jams kind of like it's close to heavy metal or whatever as pearl jam gets i think primarily because uh the e string is tuned down to c which is hard to not you know sound fucking brutal (laughs) when you're when when you're playing that low yeah you also have that sort of uh that sort of semi-tone climbing like sound gardeny bum 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 in it Close, so close, on down the line. 
which I, I feel like this was because Matt had not had not been out of Soundgarden that long at the at this point when they recorded this album. So I feel like there was still a lot of Soundgarden influence in what Matt mm-hmm. was doing. I think that that this song sort of reflects that Soundgarden influence. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this is the second album that he was with the band for, and he, I think he was still sort of in Soundgarden mode as they were writing and, and doing this album. And I think it takes another couple albums for, <laughs> for him to be like, it's like, OK, this is like a Pearl Jam song that Matt wrote. It doesn't feel like it's kind of like, ah, oh, it sounds like it's not in the Pearl Jam style. Right. Do you think that the style in that sense affects because they've they've played this a lot on the riot act tour Mm -hmm. and then not i mean maybe a dozen times after that yeah they we we went on tour following pearl jam for a week and saw Mm -hmm. them play this song at all five of the shows that we went to we did yep and then that's the last time i saw it (laughs) same here (laughs) yeah that, that riot act is where they that riot act tour is where they really played it a lot i think they don't play it as much because then they have to bring the drum machine with them right which um you can tell on uh, on top of stone's amp you'll see like a box or something or like a rack tray or something sitting on top of there and that's where it is mm-hmm. so like in concerts after that or whatever mm-hmm. it's like oh i don't see anything on that so they're definitely not going to play you are right because they gotta bust that out and plug it in and everything like that and you know why lug around why lug around something that's the size of like a, a medium pizza box sort of thing why lug that around to every show if you're not gonna definitely play the song or whatever so right so you you reckon it's more an equipment based issue and also having guitars drop you know tuned to open c is probably so you you reckon it's more an equipment issue than it is a style issue for the band yeah i think definitely and also too like when you have something that's it is sort of like a gimmick song in that sense then because it's a, it's effect based mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like okay if we're going to play the song then we have to use right. this effect so it's kind of you know a one off thing do we really want to have to go through the trouble of playing one song that's going to use this one thing as opposed to if it's you know, a mm-hmm. delay effect or something like that, which is going to be used on, you know, a whole bunch of other songs or a wah or something. Right. Or whatever, whatever pedal Mike had when he recorded by Gnarl. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 didn't you listen to that episode? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not that, I don't think it's that big a deal. I, I feel like the responsible thing Pearl Jam should have done when Matt brought this demo in was just say, okay, we're going to do the entire album with this effect. <laughs> yeah. See? <laughs> Kind of like uh, uh, R.E.M. with the Monster album where there's tremolo all over it. So we don't have to worry about, oh, we got to bust out just the tremolo for just one song. It's like, mm-hmm. nah, we got it all over the album. So, you know, just have to maybe just adjust, adjust it a little faster mm-hmm. or slower or something. Yeah. So speaking of the the album version, I honestly, like I, I told you, I, I love this song. It's one of my Pearl Jam favorites. Mm-hmm. It wasn't when the album came out. I actually really frequently skipped it to get to get right. Really? Yeah. It just, it. 
it was kind of mid, it was mid tempo. The lyrics are kind of generic love songy and the effect was cool the first time I heard it. Then it's like, eh, okay. And so it wasn't until we saw it live together on the tour mm-hmm. that I really like it. It was more impactful for me live is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And that's when I, I learned to appreciate it. And like I say, now it's one of my favorites. And when I'm looking for bootlegs, it's one of the tracks that I always look for if I'm going to download a new bootleg. I think in the early times when they were first playing the song, I think that they were also more into it just because it was new and it was also kind of like a new sound for them. So it's kind of like, oh, this is like really fucking cool. You know, it it kind of is um, outside of our comfort zone or whatever for what fans expect from us or whatever, just because it sounds a little bit different Mm -hmm. and i don't know if after that in the times that they've played it since it can sort of feel like they're not as into it yeah it could also be because they haven't sped it up like some of the other songs that they've had because it's based right it is timed and it's on you can't you can't have yeah. like too much of a oh we're speeding up a little bit in this part it's like nope it's it's all it's all a click track it's all electronic it's based you know it's it's always going to be mm-hmm. the same tempo from show to show to show yeah. to show and you can't really get like a swing sort of feeling it at all mm-hmm. there's not too much room to groove it's all just very no. straight on time yeah you can't you can't really do like an extended break in it or yeah, yeah. a tag yeah, you, there's there's no improvs or something like that that you can uh, do into it or out of it or whatever or in the middle or whatever. Mm-hmm. You got to stick to the letter of the yeah. song. There are some live versions, uh, the London live version. I really liked some of the doodles that Mike did in it. Like Mike is a little freer in that sense mm-hmm. because he's not he's not strapped to the drum machine that he can sort of play up and down the fret. But he's still, I mean, you still have to follow the form of the song. Otherwise, you'll get you'll get out of sync with the drum machine. And, and so even that, you know, as much as he's got more freedom than anyone, he still doesn't have that much. Yeah. And boom, I think also adds a lot to the song too, uh, on the record. It kind of feels a little bit spacey. I think the song has always felt kind of like alien to me, kind of like you're on another planet. Mm -hmm. I think just the, the way that the song sounds and then also some of the the effects and stuff in the background coming through and it's just kind of like, Ooh, you know, when there's a tower, it's like, Ooh, it's kind of like space opera, sci-fi kind of uh, imagery that it brings into my head mm-hmm. uh, listening to it. And I think boom kind of can go through and go off a little bit and add in some, some more embellishments like Mike can, because they're not as tied to a drum machine <laughs> like, like stone is. Mm-hmm. No, I think the, the keyboard part, in the bridge the ooh-ah part really like Mm -hmm. that really stands out and really makes you know makes that sound in that part That was that that's one of the highlights I feel mm-hmm. like is what boom adds to that in that in the bridge. Do you remember the lighting rig that they had for this song on that tour? Um no, I don't. 
it was a lot of strobe and in the in what I assume is the chorus, the love is a tower part. They always had these green fan lights, mm-hmm. like almost like a green laser. And that always really, that, oh, that yeah, yeah, stuck yeah. out to me. It's only the only lighting effect besides, you know, turning on the house lights during a live that I really remember from any shows. Uh, let's see. What other notes I have? Um, really straightforward timing for a Matt song. Yes. <laughs> I was trying to think. It's like, is this like the only song that he's written and like... Uh... Four, four. I, I think there might be some a measure or two of just kind of. There's yeah, there, a bonus a bonus measure here or there or something. At the in in the verses, the verse pattern is four 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 two four. Yeah, four 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 two four. But because there's an even number of lines, you can count that as four four all the way through. Yeah, it's just that the second the second phrase of the verse starts on a three instead of a one. Mm-hmm. Lyrically, I thought that the um, that the lyric uh, "Love Is a Tower" and "You're the Key" harkens back to the Madonna song "Open Your Heart," where uh, I hold the lock and you you turn the key, mm-hmm. which is obviously uh, about boning because it's a Madonna song, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and love love is a tower. You know, towers are also somewhat phallic. phallic. <laughs> yeah, that. So, I mean, there could be, I don't think that's what Matt intended. <laughs> Unless that's an Eddie lyric and right, yeah. <laughs> he was feeling particularly horny. <laughs> yeah. You don't really get a horny Pearl Jam songs. I think black is probably the closest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. Yellow Ledbetter might be really horny. I don't know. Maybe Stupid Mop. That's, uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Then again, there weren't, there weren't lyrics written, mm-hmm. but you got the sound clips in there. Yeah. But as as much as, you know, the lyrics aren't bad, like they're not anything that I whisper to my wife, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, baby, you're the shoreline or I'm the shoreline and you're the sea, baby. Like that, I mean, good. They did good for the lyrics, but it's no boys to men. <laughs> no, I'll make love to you. Uh, I don't know the rest of the lyrics. If you want me to. If you yeah, see, already asking for consent, like 30 <laughs> yeah, years before the Me Too Yeah, there you go, hey. <laughs> yeah, is there really anything else? Like, I, it is, yeah, lyrically it is sort of just kind of a love song, and mm-hmm. and it's got the effect in it, which uh, is, is the main reason I think that people talk about the song is just because of how different it sounds, and I really do think that it's just super hardcore and i think that like deeper fans of the band who you know know all the albums and everything like that i think like everybody agrees that this is like one of the standout tracks on this album Mm -hmm. because of that yeah which is why i feel so immature you know that when i was 22 and listening to this i was always like yeah skip give me get right like (laughs) (laughs) was it just was it just because it sounded different and it was like oh yeah Yeah. you said it was kind of mid-tempo and everything too damn it Mm -hmm. i see that proves i listened a bit i forgot yeah (laughs) you you totally did and then i was trying to figure out when dance of the clairvoyance first came out Mm -hmm. it reminded me really strongly of this and i couldn't figure out why until i realized that it it was the drum machine that's yeah yeah that that kind of locked in tempo which is unique among pearl jam sounds yeah yeah, even though, even though Jack Irons was real on the beat as far as drumming goes, I could be wrong because, mm-hmm. you know, you're the drummer, but he did keep a real straight time. He did have parts where he would, it's like, okay, I'm, we're going to, we're, you know, 
feeling the song and you get a little bit of a speed up here and there and kind of a little bit of a, a swing in some of the songs mm-hmm. that, you know, that needed it where you can like really feel the song. But he was for the most part real just on it and keeping time for everybody. Yeah. In the pocket is the, in the pocket. Yes. yes. Damn, it, that. damn it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and as much as Jack was in the pocket, the Pearl Jam style I feel like has has always been looser with the tempo mm-hmm. to make the songs more emotive, and so so Jack really adjusted to that. I feel like, and then Matt sort of has taken that to a whole new level with you know taking some songs at virtually double time mm-hmm. live. No plus two. I think that you know I always am an apologist. I guess for for that for playing something faster live. Just because when you're recording, mm-hmm. uh, especially some of these albums that are just written, you know, maybe earlier that week or something like that, you're still yeah. learning how to play it and you're trying to remember it. It's kind of, okay, let's take it a little bit slow so that we can get everything exact and the way that we want it and everything. And then as you practice it more and more, mm-hmm. you're more used to it. And it's kind of right. like, okay, and if you're real feeling of it and you're more excited about it, you know, you're going to speed it up a little bit just because, you know, you're better at it mm-hmm. and you can. Right. And it's different. I mean, playing to a to a record and playing to an audience are are inherently different things. Yeah, yeah. Your your aims are different, and so where on a record, precision is kind of the goal. In a live situation, energy is the goal, and so yeah. playing at different tempos in a live setting makes sense. Yeah, no, that is really everything I have to say about it. Like I say, one of my all time faves. One of the tracks on my wish list. I mean, so I guess my ultimate wish list is that the European Summer Tour actually happens this year. Mm-hmm. Like I would be, ha- I would be happy to hear them play, you know, Bush Leaker fourteen times, like just anything. <laughs> <laughs> but if I get to go to that concert, one of the tracks on my wish list is "You Are." I would hope to get to hear that again live. But seeing as how you are in Europe right now and you're seeing how it's going, does it look like people have their acts together enough to where what in three months or maybe by the time this episode comes uh, out that uh, things are going to be OK? If you're if you're asking rational Kevin, there's <laughs> probably no way that a tour happens this summer. And just looking at how quickly things are opening, how responsible people are being with following the rules. Because it's not, I mean, I'm in Germany and it's not just Germany because the concert I'm going to is in Hungary. So I would also need, you know, things to be responsible in Hungary. Yeah. And the tour is going to be going through the UK and France and Austria. And I feel like if any, like one or two dates, you know, like if, if there was an outbreak in Vienna, but everywhere else was fine, they could keep going. But once you get past sort of having to cancel two or three dates on a European tour where you're only doing 15 dates, you start to say, is it worth it to do it or do we just push it off one more year? Mm-hmm. And so Rational Kevin says, you know, look, looking around, not probably going to happen this year. But Pearl Jam fan Kevin is just sticking his fingers in his ears and like, nope, I'm going <laughs> this July. It's happening. Yeah. Plus everybody in Europe is going to want to be traveling to the different shows and stuff. And are they going to have to quarantine or right. not if they're traveling and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. This, this episode is going to come out in July. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we will, we will, we will literally see yeah. <laughs> when this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. We will know. 
for sure. Yeah. And there is talk in Europe of having a vaccine passport, kind of like a, a get across the border free mm-hmm. card once you've been vaccinated and whether that is a requirement or, and there's, there has been talk about other businesses and companies using that as a, you know, like, oh, you can eat in our restaurant if you've had a vaccine. Oh, you can come to the show if you've had a vaccine. Yeah. But then, you know, I'm under 40. Well, I'm not under 40 anymore. I'm under 45 (laughs) and healthy and not an essential worker. So now I don't get to go see Pearl Jam. Like, you know, it, it, like the vaccine, the, if you get your vaccine, you can do what you want rule is also problematic. Yeah. How many over 65 Pearl Jam fans (laughs) are out there that are going to follow them all through Europe? More than there were 30 years ago. (laughs) Well, you got a point there. Uh, but like I say, uh, my official stance is no, absolutely. The tour is happening this year. I'm going no questions asked. So we'll see folks comment, email when you hear this episode. (laughs) Yeah. And if I'm right, uh, anyone who's in Budapest hit up Brandon, he'll give you my email address and I will happily buy a round of beers for any better band podcast fan at the bar around the corner from the stadium. Yeah, that's a way to to hedge your bets there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we'll wrap this up then, Kevin. I'm going to ask you, Mm -hmm. where are you at with Pearl Jam? How has your listening changed over the years to where you're at uh, now with them? Well, over the years, so... You know, we're, you and I are both, and I imagine a lot of your listeners are part of the generation that grew up with Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. And I feel like my listening to them has changed the way I sort of imagine like my dad's listening to rock music changed. Like when they were new and we were young, I was obsessed and I would just listen to albums on repeat over Mm -hmm. and over. And Pearl Jam was, you know, Pearl Jam and bands like Pearl Jam were almost all I listened to. And then as I got into my late 20s and 30s like there's there's two albums in there the backspacer and lightning bolt that just sort of missed me mm-hmm. like i listened to them and i i liked them but i i didn't have the relationship to them that i had to like yield by gnarl riot act no code and now i'm moving into a newer phase where new music is weird and scary to me. <laughs> so I just listen to the old stuff that was popular when I was a teenager all, all the time. So I'm, I'm getting back into, you know, where I, I sort of wore out my Yield CD and then put it away. I'm getting back into like listening to some Yield, listening to Vitology, finding bootlegs from some of those earlier shows. I'm also like, I, I was really excited about Gigaton and the timing for that was good because you know, it happened at a time in everyone's lives when I didn't have anything else to do besides listen to Gigaton. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited. You know, I've become more of a fan of Pearl Jam Live than I am Pearl Jam in the studio. And so what I'm most excited about about Gigaton is hearing, now that I've heard these tracks, hearing how they interpret those lives and which ones become standards and which ones sort of become, we'll do it for this tour and not really much after. Yeah. Everybody who uh, made fun of their parents for listening to the music that they listened to when they were young are now going through the same thing right now. And maybe you should apologize to your parents. Yeah. When they would listen to the Eagles and you're like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. Listen to Eagles because they don't have a the. Yeah, right. Or Delaney and Bonnie or <laughs> bread. Like, like, I love you, mom, but bread, come on. <laughs> 
Starland vocal band. They suck. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show, Kevin. It's always good talking to you and catching up and hopefully the listeners have enjoyed it as well. Yeah. And if they didn't, then they won't hear this because they would have turned it off. Yeah. Just skip to the, if you get to this point and you have not enjoyed it, just skip to the next one. Or wait a week because you would have to wait a week for the new one to come out. Unless you're binging, who knows? This could be five years from now or whatever when I'm all done with this and have moved on to another band to do track by track. Oh, who knows? Yeah, no, I'm I'm assuming that that most of your listeners are going to be binging this when Corona 2 happens in 10 years and they don't have anything going on. (laughs) No, don't say it! (laughs) Yeah, No, it's been great, Brandon. I always love just talking to you like i always say and doubly so talking about pearl jam with you and triply so appearing on this podcast more often than john farrar so <laughs> oh shit <laughs> <laughs> no i really i i joke but i really really do not want to be in a rivalry with john farrar please don't don't be offended john i love your <laughs> podcast you're a real actual podcaster and i'm a nobody so please don't come after me we'll see how we'll see how this develops folks stay tuned the better brand podcast is produced by listenabrino.com and brandon palomo and published using creative commons attribution share alike 4.0 license please visit creativecommons.org or email listenabrino at gmail.com for more details all music played is owned by their respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from betterbandpod.com using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Better Band Pod. I'm on Twitter at Brandon P. B-R-A-N-D-E-N-P. If you like the job I'm doing here, you can go to ko-fi.com slash Brandon P and leave me a $3 tip. Or you can give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest Kevin and as always, this is Brandon saying, Now son, you don't want to drink beer. That's for daddies and kids with fake IDs. <laughs> <laughs>